Welcome to Waterbrook Church, located in Victoria, Minnesota. Our new series in Luke called Glorious Disruption, being taught by our senior pastor, Kevin Dibley, is about when Jesus shows up and turns everyone's world upside down. We believe this study of God's word is about to turn many people's lives completely around. It may be even upside down because that's what happens in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus comes to people who are absolutely stunned and amazed by him, and they are profoundly and gloriously changed forever. Let's begin by praying that this happens here at Waterbrook and beyond for our joy and amazement in Jesus. Let's worship together. We are in the, in the Gospel of Luke, and in the Gospel of Luke, um, Jesus is, is uh, um, not seeking to make us comfortable. Uh, I, I got to talk about that properly because there is a sense, and even as we've been singing this morning, there is enormous comfort in the gospel. But the comfort of the gospel is to push us out of our comfort, to move us in the direction of some of the places and some of the relationships where we are least likely to go. And I hope you heard some of that, got it palpably in worship today. We are going to talk about going on mission in some of the hardest relationships that God has given to us. Uh, the exercise of loving your enemies and forgiving those who have sinned against you. And, uh, you know, we, we have in our mindset what missions looks like and, you know, where God calls us. And we often sometimes think in our own hearts that, you know, there's a closed door to me over here. That door has been closed. There is a resistance to my faith, a resistance to Jesus and someone over here. And uh, you and I often think, okay, where is the open door? And what Jesus is going to do in this Sermon on the Plain, what he's already been doing in, in the gospel, is telling us that some of the hardest places, places that look the hardest to us, some of the people that um, look like they're the hardest for us to go to and reach are actually the places he's calling us to go because he loves to love his enemies. He died to save his enemies. He works to transform the lives of his enemies. And so here's what I want to do. You know what we're doing in worship on Sunday morning? We are leading you. Gabe is intentionally leading you. We are leading you through the narrative of the gospel. We're actually reminding you of the grand story of a God who created a world and that world rebelled against him and fell into sin and despised the God that made them and gave him every good gift. And that God has pursued the world with his love. And in the triune uh, Godhead, before all the foundation of the world, the decision was made, we're going to love our enemies. And Jesus stepped forward. And he came into this world and he took on our weakness and he carried our sin and he died in our place in order to make us his own. And then he called a collection of disciples around him. Apostles, John talked about that. And as he gathered this collection of apostles around him, he looked at them and said, now guess who I'm sending you to? Guess where we're going? Jesus had set his eyes fixed on Jerusalem. He was going to the cross. God had decided to love his enemies, and Jesus said, that's where we're going. So that when we go to that place, and when we go to those people, and we minister in this way, it will be clear who I am and why I came. Aren't you glad that God loves his enemies? Like zealously loves his enemies. And I've talked to some of you as I look at you. The hard places you've been. Jordan 
So good to see you. Coming back from the 1040 window after some time away. There are hard places to go. But, you know, for some of you, it's to go home today. Some of you, it's where you go to work. Some of you, the Lord is actually calling you to deal with some undealt with damage. You're damaged, hurt, injured. And the Lord is calling you to trust Him. Because He's not moving to the easy places. Because there are no easy places. He's not going to the easy hearts because there are no easy hearts. It's a fiction. It's an illusion. We're waiting for that easy place. No, no, dear friends, he raises the dead. <laughs> he, he gives new hearts in the place of hearts of stone. <laughs> he loves to love the unlovable. If that were not true, friend, you would not be here today. You would not be here today. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to pray. We're not, we're not doing church. God calls us to worship collectively as the local church on a Sunday morning because Jesus loves to be with his body. And in the event of worship, he presences himself to change lives and to change destinies and to change eternity. So let's not play games. Here's what I want you to do, just for a moment, just as we tune ourselves to the scriptures. I want you to pray very specifically right now. And as that face comes up, that person, that collective group comes up in your mind, pray God, make me willing. Show your love. Here I am, Lord. What's the next words? Send me. Okay, let's, let's do some... Let's do some real praying. Go ahead and quietly pray. I'll pray and then we'll open up the word together. Okay, Father, um, none of us want to do church. None of us want another human lecture. We want you. We trust you. We may not be able to trust anybody else, but we want to trust you so much as to follow you, Jesus, wherever you call us, to be faithful to what you've called us to be and to do, to live in this world not according to the ways of this world, not according to the wisdom of men, not according to the propensities of our own hearts. We want to follow Jesus. So come help us. We trust you. Gentle Savior, the great shepherd of the sheep, the rescuer of our souls, come help us. God's people said, Amen. Uh, just a few weeks ago, a friend of mine's son um, was made a colonel in the U.S. Air Force, and uh, I sent my friend a note, 
and just said to him, quite sincerely, I wrote to him and I said, I can't think of anybody who deserves more to be made a colonel in the Air Force. His son um, has been in I don't know how many tours and uh, he is an anesthetist and he has been flying on tours for years in the middle of the mess. Um, he uh, one time was uh, shot by a sniper. In a, he was in a Black Hawk helicopter in Afghanistan, and he was shot and rushed to Germany, got better, and then returned right to action as soon as he could do it. Um, a few years ago, I was doing the funeral of his mom, and they were on a mission in the Middle East, and, uh, and he was very close to his mom, and uh, she loved him. And he flew in from the Middle East the night before the funeral, and he was with us for the funeral that day, and then he, he got on the, a plane, and he flew back the very next day um, because he couldn't leave his team that was on mission. And uh, I remember one time in particular, a story uh, was in the news actually here, but an insurgent uh, he was in Baghdad serving in the green zone and an insurgent had broken into the green zone and had killed several American soldiers and had wounded another one. And in the middle of the night, um, there was surgery going on. And so there were two beds and in one bed with a curtain between them, in one bed was the American soldier who was fighting for his life. And in the other uh, bed was the insurgent who was also fighting for his life. And so my friend's son was the anesthetist there. And uh, as this was going on, the one uh, American soldier died. And so the whole medical team had to shift and now save the life of the, I think it was Iraqi's insurgent, but I'm not sure where he was from, but to save the life of the insurgent. And what was interesting about that scenario is it was very clear to that medical team what their duty was, what their mission was, what they were called to do. They were not called to execute justice. That was not their mission. They were not required to do that. In order to do that, in, if you were in, in many other countries in the, uh, of the world, that would not be, they would, you had very different marching orders. But their marching orders was whoever from wherever was brought into that room, they were to do everything they could if it required them to be up all night to rescue that life. And they did. They rescued the life of the insurgent because their mission was to save lives. It was other people's mission to deal with justice and an injustice. Now that for me has been a strong picture of the ministry of the gospel. My dear friends, we have not been sent into the world to execute justice, but to save God's enemies. Isn't that good news? Aren't you glad that that's true? You would not be rescued if it wasn't for the fact that God said to his son, the father said, we will go and love our enemies. And the son said, here am I, send me. And John says in John chapter 3, God did not send the world, this, his son, into the world that he might condemn the world, but that the world might be what? Saved through him. God so loved the world that he gave his 
only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And as we get into Luke's gospel, there's a sense in which we palpably feel that what Jesus is doing as he's building his team is he's setting them up to, and he's giving them a radical, different worldview. He's changing their view of the world. And you know, I, I said a couple of weeks ago that one of the things that has to happen for us as individuals, as Christians, is we have to wash ourselves from the, 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 the infiltration, the filth in our minds of cynicism. Uh, cynicism is the cultural world. It's the air we breathe. It's the toxins that are around us. And the more cynical we become, the less willing we are to go. The more convinced we are that the world's going to hell in a handbasket, the less we will believe that God is greater than all our sin. And so we have to fight cynicism in our own hearts. I plead with you, again on this Sunday, Christian, fight cynicism, your cynicism, my cynicism is detrimental to the mission. God has come into the world to save sinners from every tribe and tongue and language group, right? That is not a question, and that is not a difficulty. That is the triumphant power of the crucified, reigning, and resurrected and reigning Christ. John came last week, and he very helpfully reminded us that we all have the tendency to move to our safety zones, right? We don't want to get hurt. We don't want to get injured, so we get into the lifestyle. We don't want to be disappointed. Gabe really walked us well in our prayer today. Just all the things that sabotage our hearts, our belief in God, our love for others. We have these voices in our head saying it's hopeless, they're too hard, it's been too long, they're too, you know, whatever. We have this long list of reasons why I'm not going to get in there and risk. I'm going to protect myself. I'm going to do what looks successful because I feel like a failure over here. And John said, no, we've got to get out there. There's a mission to be done. And now Jesus takes us another step further. And we're going to look at this because what Jesus says is I'm not actually just asking you to come up to the safety zone line and say, here I am. I'm actually calling you on mission to love your enemies. Uh, what you have to realize is it's his enemies that he intends to convert. It's his <laughs> hostility is not a problem for him, right? <laughs> Luke, <laughs> you're going to see. It just keeps going to Jerusalem. It keeps moving towards the cross. The book of Acts, the beauty of the book of Acts is that the disciples, like in in the beginning chapters realize hostile thank you god they pray <laughs> that we were considered worthy to suffer for jesus sake this isn't a problem a group of galilean fishermen suddenly courageous why hostility is no hardship for jesus he who died rose from the dead he can defeat satan satan has fallen right that's what he's that's what they're seeing the apostle paul silas they get thrown into a philippian jail <laughs> and, and there's an earthquake. And the Philippian jailer goes, oh man, I'm dead. He, he comes through and right, and, and before the earthquake happens, what are they doing? We're told in Acts six, uh, 16. What were they doing? Middle of the night. Singing. I don't think they were singing John Newton and Gabe Zapata's song. Maybe. <laughs> but they were singing that song. 
of a Savior who triumphed over sin and death. They were singing that song. They were sitting in there, leaning in. They were full of expectancy. This world is going upside down. So when, and they were praying. What were they praying? I'll tell you. I don't know what they were praying, but I know what they were praying. I know what they said, but when the earthquake happened and the gates were open, they did not run to save themselves because they realized the opposition was the place where the power of God was going to be made known. They hung in there. <laughs> God, <laughs> there's an earthquake. I wonder what God's going to do. All of us would be going, woohoo, right? We'd be running out the door, freedom at last, free at last, free. We'd be running away. They're going, no way. I think God's about to save his enemies. Book of Acts, Paul's in that, you know, Philippian, writes to that Philippian church later on, sorry, in Philippians, and he says, I got good news to you. I've been stuck in the Roman Emporium with the the royal guard. And I'll tell you this, it has been the advancement of the gospel, my imprisonment. You you understand, friends? I want you to see this. You You gotta hear this. Hostility is where God does his best heart work. And you need to hear two sides of this. He's not only doing work in the heart of his enemies, but while he works through you in them, he's working in you through them. As he works in them through you, sorry, he's working in you through them. You understand? That, that sounds about as, I'm a preacher. <laughs> Sometimes I have really clear lines. <laughs> He is in the middle of that hostility using you to minister to his enemies. But he's not only working in their hearts. By working in their hearts, he's working in your heart. And that's what's being taught. Jesus is showing up and saying, Christian, disciples, don't say to yourself, when I get my heart right and I no longer am angry with that person and I'm, I'm ready to deal with that, then I'll move forward. Stop, stop, stop. Follow him. You will never be adequate. But as you follow him, he will go to work in you. He will make you sufficient. He will transform you. That's why I asked you to pray that at the beginning. Who is it? That hostility, that hardness where you say, I can't go there. It's too difficult. I won't go there. I've been there before. Stop, stop, stop. Where is he calling you to go? And for all of us, we just need to be aware and alert and available because if we don't follow Jesus, something awfully wrong goes in me and in you. So let's go to the text, and I want to show you in this text of Scripture a couple of things. In fact, um, just so you can relax, um, I decided to split my sermon in two in the first service, so that means it's split in two for you uh, <laughs> when you do double services. So here's what I want you to see. Jesus is calling his disciples to two things in this text. Embrace the methodology of the gospel, especially when it seems like insanity. Uh, and, I, and I mean that. Um, that's what he's teaching here. Because loving generously those who don't receive love or respond with love looks insane to us at times. Going to surgery on an Iraqi insurgent who just shot up and killed several of your fellow soldiers looks like insanity. But if you don't do it, it's you who gets changed. And therefore the world doesn't get changed. 
And I say that lightly because I don't know that experience. Some of you do. But in reality, friends, what God calls us to do is absolutely insane if there was no God. If there was no gospel. If Jesus was not the Lord of heaven and earth. But he is. And then we'll see next week. We need to receive the surgery of the gospel in the middle of the gospel ministry. So while we're in mission, we need the ministry of the Holy Spirit bringing the gospel application to ourselves. We'll get to that, but this morning let's just talk about the insanity of following Jesus, embracing the methodology of the gospel. So let's go to this text. Now, let me just stop here and say this, just so it's helpful for you. Um, when we go into mission with hard-hearted, rebellious enemies of God, let me remind you that what's going on is not an intellectual battle. It includes the intellect, and it requires reasonable faith, but the reason people are not following Christ and responding to Christ is not because they're intellectually unable to do it. It's because we all possess in and of ourselves the hardest substance known to man, the human heart. And the human heart, which is hardened against God, requires a miraculous intervention of Christ himself through us in order to change. We need to love radically in the name of Jesus Christ and live radically in the name of Jesus Christ because that alone, Christ alone, the gospel alone, can change the human heart. And that's what we're called to do. So that's, that may help you understand why the commands of Jesus are so clear and seem sometimes in the application very crazy. It's the only thing in the power of the Spirit by faith that can ever change a human's heart. The good news of the gospel lived out by God and spoken by God's people. So let's look at this text of Scripture in, in Luke chapter 6. And I'll give you just several of these. Um, what I, what I want to say is the... Uh, uh, the, the methodology of the ministry of the gospel here, even when it looks insane. In verse 27, it says, but I say to you what? And, and let me just stop there. But I say to you who? Here. And so I do need to just ask a simple question. Do you hear Jesus today? Can you hear him? Not can you hear him, will you hear him? Today. Jesus says to the crowd of people, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Notice what the command here is. It's to the command to love. And Jesus chooses a word for love, agape love, which is a powerful love that is resilient and responsive, not because of what's going on in support and affection and encouragement, but even in the face of hostility and opposition. Listen to a couple of definitions. Leon Morris on agape love, this word used here. There are several words for love in the Greek. Jesus was not asking for storge, natural affection, nor for eros, romantic love, nor for philia, the love of friendship. He was speaking of agape, which means love even of the unworthy. Love which is not drawn out by merit in the beloved, but which proceeds from the fact that the lover chooses to be a loving person. Got that? So it's not friendship love, naturally uh, love. It's not romantic love. 
It's not philia, the friendship love. It is miraculous love that proceeds from the choice of the lover to be loving. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's love. That's agape love. Listen to Philip Reichen's definition. Agape is different from all other loves. Unlike storge, natural affection, it is unnatural. Got this? It's unnatural. It comes only by the supernatural work of God, uh, the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to pause here and say, at Waterbrook on Sundays, you will hear us plead with the Holy Spirit to come. And we are pleading with the Holy Spirit to come because unless the Holy Spirit comes and does a work in our hearts, we cannot manufacture the kind of love for God and our neighbor and our enemies that Christ calls us for. We need supernatural intervention. Right? Just like Robert. Thank God for the intervention of others. And thank God for the prayers of God's people. Right? That's what we're praying here. And so this is what he says. Unlike eros, agape is not romantic. It's not the kind of love that anyone ever falls into. Rather, it's the kind of love that disciples choose as a part of their obedience to Christ. It's a will to love, a choice to love, an action of love, which I believe is born of the Holy Spirit and consistent with the will of the triune God and, and, and modeled upon and measured out by Jesus Christ who died and now lives on behalf of his enemies. That's the good news. That's this kind of love. So let's talk about the methodology of love. We have a different worldview than our culture, which is save your life, rescue your life, serve yourself, live your best life now. No. Lay down your life for your friends. That's how the Bible reads. Lay down your life for your enemies. That's how the Bible reads. So let's, what, what is the methodology of ministry here? Let me give you four things this morning. Number one, we, uh, to, to love this way, respond to obvious expressions of hatred with obvious expressions of agape love. Look at Luke six twenty seven. But I say to you, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. And so love your enemies. Is, is, it's not hard to see how your enemies oppose you. It's not hard to see. What he's saying is do good. How do you, this is a love that acts towards those who are hostile to you with an intentional expressions of love. So if you're sitting here this morning and say, how am I to live this out? One of the answers is ask God to show you practical, effective ways that you might demonstrate the love of God, not because of merit, but because of mercy towards those who oppose you. That's why Paul and Silas stayed in the prison after the earthquake. And that's why the Philippian jailer fell down and was receptive to the gospel because he knew they could have saved themselves. And if they would have saved themselves, what would have happened to him? He actually was going to kill himself because he thought he was going to be executed for letting people go. But they stayed, even though it was a risk to them that they might communicate to them that there was one who stayed on the cross and did not come down, even though they said, if you are the Son of God, save yourself. And he goes, I'd never save my neck and not save you. Father, forgive them, 
for they know not what they do. And so one of the things you and I have to rescue, wrestle through in our ministry is, God, what can I do to those who have been hostile to me, unloving to me, forgiving? That, that person, what can I do manifestly to demonstrate, to live out the gospel towards them? Secondly, not only do we respond to obvious expressions of hatred with obvious expressions of agape love, but we respond to deliberate attempts of verbal abuse with deliberate expressions of verbal honor. Look at verse 28. What are we to do? Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. And I think this is a really good one to learn as a young person. Because you'll realize very quickly in elementary school or in high school how easy it is for people to curse you, to mock you, to ridicule you. It, you. You don't have to train people to insult one another, right? You just have to cut them off in traffic, right? You just have to be a little different. You have to say something or act in some way that's not consistent with their expectations. Isn't it true that people, when they don't meet our expectations, we find it easy to mumble under our breath things that aren't pleasant? We do. That comes unnaturally, supernaturally, is when people curse you and say things, ridicule you, insult you, and you make sure that you bow a couple of things in your heart that nothing will come out of your mouth towards them except that which would give them grace and when you get on your knees before God Jesus says that you should bless those who persecute you and curse you and pray for those who uh, persecute you. then you'll be like who your father in whose heaven who causes the sun to shine and the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. This is what you do, and this is maybe one of the best starting points for some of you. When you're wrestling, get on your knees and say, Father, just say these words, Father, will you bless them? I mean, bless them. Do them good. Show them mercy. And we'll talk about this a little more next week, but who's getting changed there? Amen. Who's getting changed there? You are. You're being reminded of a God who sent his son where there was agreement within the Trinity. I'm not sure what that conversation sounded like. I would have loved to hear it. Or they're going, yes, 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 yes. And as we just sang in that song, the son pleading to the father, let my ransom pay, 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 yeah. You need to hear that. Father, forgive them for they know not what they and so this is the call upon us let's bless friends let me just say to this it, if people wrong you first thing to do shut your mouth secondly pray to God number three may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight O God my rock and my redeemer learn that verse I pray that verse all the time because I'm such a sinner, right? May the words of my mouth and the meditation. You ever have the prayer? Are any of you like me where you're praying, you're on your knees, you're talking to God, and suddenly you realize, wait a minute, for the last five minutes I've been tr talking to so-and-so. 
<laughs> I've been solving all the issues of my life. Oh, yeah. I'm glad nobody sees me, right? Because you got all these issues churning up in your heart. And you go, stop, 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 stop. God, please bless them. God, please bless them. Drown out my insanity with the insanity of the gospel. Stop my cursing with the blessing that comes from Christ, right? That's what you do. Let me just ask you a frank question. When's the last time you prayed for somebody who insulted you, hurted you, humiliated you, wronged you? When is the last time you literally prayed on your knees, God bless them, help them, encourage them, strengthen them? This is, so, so just as a reminder, this is not Christian theory. This is Christian practice. Do it. Do it by faith. You need it. Aren't you glad that God saves you? What would, what would it be to be a medical surgeon or an anesthetist or a doctor where you were using your knife in two different ways? What does that do to you? We don't live according to the ways of the world. We have a new king, and there's a new way, and there's a new kingdom. Thirdly, respond to public shame with persevering grace. Look at verse 29. He says, to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other, uh, the other also. And I just want to stop there and say that what, what's being said here in this text of Scripture is to, when they strike you on the cheek, it's not just physically angry and they punch you in the face. Striking on the cheek was, was an insult. And you know why people insult you? To get you out of their face, to drive you back, to injure you with their words in such a way that they disable you and take you out of the picture. It means to cut you out. Not just cut you down, but cut you out of the game. And what Jesus is saying, they slap you in your face. You go, what? <laughs> I will not stop fighting for your soul. You can humiliate me a thousand times. I've already decided I'm a fool for Christ. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't turn and go away when he was humiliated? What did they do to him? Did they slap his face? Did they spit in his face? Did they form a crown of thorns and press it into his brow and make it trickle down? Did they, did they make him parade around in a royal robe and say, Hail, King of the Jews? Did they slap him and say, Hey, if you're the Son of God, who struck you? Did they do that to him? And what did he say? Father, Forgive them. They know not what they do. Oh, man. Just, what was it like for the centurion? Watching the way in which Jesus died. After all that he had said and done. And to say this. Surely this man was the son of God unlike any other. He did that for you. He did that for me. Oh, friends, let's put our pride away. There's souls at stake. Let's put our pride away. It's not Saul, Saul, it's not you they're persecuting. 
right? Or, or sorry, uh, no, I'm going, I got two Saul's mixed up. The Old Testament Saul, right? The Old Testament Saul was um, being, or no, Samuel was being persecuted, rejected, and the, and the Lord spoke through, spoke to him and he said, Samuel, it's not you that's being rejected, it's me that's being rejected by as king. And then when uh, Saul was persecuting and he gets confronted, Jesus said, Saul, didn't simply say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting the church? He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Christian, when you're being ridiculed and you're being insulted and you're being accused, do you not consider it an honor that you are carrying the name of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? It's him who is being cursed. Respond to public shame by staying in the game. No, coach, take me out. No, send me back in. <laughs> Let me tell you this. Some of the people who are hardest against you and most hostile to you are a moment-sized breath away, just a breath away from the kingdom of heaven. Stay in the game. Take another one if he calls you to take another one so that he might take another one into eternity. Do that. And finally, fourth one, respond to being taken advantage of by selfless generosity. By selfless generosity. Look at what it says here at the end of that. He says in verse 29, to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. What's he saying? You can say here, but if, I, if I'm kind to them, if I'm forgiving to them again, if I'm gracious to them again, they will run away with it. They, they'll take advantage of generosity. They'll be spoiled. Yes, maybe, but thank God we serve a generous God. You and I need to stop and realize that all we have to give of this life is just a breath. And there before us stands people who are on the precipice of their eternity. Aren't you glad that God was so generous? How generous has God been to you? How many times has he forgiven you? 70 times seven? Let me just give a little suggestion. If you're over seven, you're already past 70 times seven. Grace upon grace. Mercy upon mercy. Forgive. God did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us that's what we had this morning how will he not along with us freely give us all things the apostle paul says in that text of scripture in romans chapter 8 he says this is what the christian life is like we are considered like sheep to be slaughtered what's he saying it's like we go out sacrifice come back in back out sacrifice come back in sacrifice what's going we are like sheep to be slaughtered but nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus because there's enough grace for all the misery and not only the misery but the salvation of those who have sinned against God father forgive them they know not what they do let me uh, give you a story that Philip Riken tells in his commentary on this text of scripture. He describes the story of a, a Turkish soldier who uh, took captive, killed, and then took captive 
a woman. And this is how the story goes. He says, a Turkish uh, officer raided and looted an Armenian home. Uh, and so, so if any of you know the story of the Armenians, um, I have Armenian Christian friends, and they have high in their history some of the brutality they've experienced over uh, their history, and they remember it. But a Turf Turkish officer raided and looted an Armenian home. He killed the aged parents and gave the daughters to his soldiers, keeping the eldest daughter for himself. Sometime later, she escaped and trained as a nurse. As time passed, she found herself nursing in a ward of Turkish soldiers. One night, by the light of the lantern, she saw the face of the officer. He was so gravely ill that without exceptional nursing, he would die. The days passed, and he recovered. One day, the doctor stood by his bed with the nurse with him, and he said, but for her devotion to you, you'd be dead. And the man looked at her and said, we've met before, haven't we? Yes, she said, we have met before. Why didn't you kill me? He asked. And she replied, I am a follower now of him who said, love your enemies. Isn't that powerful? That's who we follow. He didn't just say it. He did it with his own blood. He has kept us and will keep us. And he's called us to that. So friends, put away your cynicism. God's going to save sinners. Stop running to your places of self-protection. Step up and step out. And love where it's hard right now. Love where it's hard right now. And you will see things you have never seen before grace in you, and grace through you. Do you want that? That's what we're praying for. Let's pray for grace through Christ, that he might help us, because we're not made for this. Unless Jesus gives us strength, we won't do it. Let's pray. So, Father, we come to you, and we thank you that you embraced our sorrow and suffering. You took shame and humiliation you did not turn back. You did not forsake us. You did not take a strip off your enemies, but you said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Help us, O oh God, because our inclination is to preserve ourselves. Our energies are spent promoting ourselves, but that's not the love we've been given, and that's not the love we've been called to. So help us, O oh God, to follow Jesus, to trust in him. Help us, O oh God, we pray. Through Jesus, God's people said, amen. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were able to seek, savor, and share the all-surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to find out more about our church, submit a prayer request, watch previous sermons, go to www.waterbrook.church. Have a blessed week.